Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Today is a bonus episode from interviews that I got to do with the Global Leadership Network, who puts on one of the largest leadership conferences in the world with hundreds of thousands of attendees across the globe. In this interview, I got to talk with the one and only Joe Saxton. Now, the Global Leadership Network intro will tell you who she is, so enjoy the show. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If you don't know what you need to work on as a leader, you know who does? Everybody else. The pathway to your greatest potential is straight through your greatest fear. If you want your team to stay relevant, lead your team into the unknown. Wouldn't it be great if we said the purpose of work is discover that which you love? We don't all have to have the same style. We don't all have to have the same goals. But with good values and a vision, everyone can be a leader. And now it's time to welcome you to the Global Leadership Podcast, where we're providing fresh, actionable content for leaders on the go like you. I'm your host, Paula Ferris. Joe Saxon left us with this profound quote at the 2019 GLS. She said, you have one body and one life, and your leadership is living in that. Joe is an author. She's a leadership coach. She's an entrepreneur. And on this episode, she's going to be interviewed by Jason Jaggard. He's the CEO of executive coaching firm Novus Global. They're going to dive deeper into the issue of wellness. I know what you're probably thinking, and I want to stop you right there. We're not talking about yoga and luxury workout gear. We're talking about wellness, your mental, emotional, and intellectual well-being. They'll talk about what it means how you can achieve it, and how you severely diminish your leadership when you don't take care of yourselves. They'll also offer some tools to help you to slow down. It's a great conversation. So let's dive in with Joe and Jason. Joe Saxton, hello. Hi. We are so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So let's go ahead and jump in. The, the The topic of this podcast is wellness, and you are an expert in that, both as a practitioner and as a person uh, who has um, learned the hard way how to manage wellness in your own life, and I love that about you. Um, for our listeners, uh, I imagine a lot of people, when they think of wellness, it's an incredibly hot topic right now, and I imagine that a lot of people have different opinions about it. Like I think there's some people who love it and they're going to love this conversation. But then there are others maybe who are a little more skeptical and when they, when they think of wellness, they think of uh, like yoga or spas or scented candles <laughs> and, and Lululemon and, and all, all the fun things. And I, <laughs> and I would love for you to just frame this uh, more broadly than that as we start this conversation. Like how would you define wellness in contrast to some of the stereotypes of how people might roll their eyes when they hear that word? Yeah, it's funny that you describe me as an expert as well, because I think I've been an expert at failing at wellness, <laughs> to be brutally honest, and have had to learn that, like you said, the hard way. When I think of wellness, I actually don't think of those things, and maybe I should, because it might be more fun, actually, at times. <laughs> I, should, I thought, huh, I've been missing out. Where is my Lululemon? Where um, is my Lululemon? Where are they? But when I actually think of wellness, I think of well-being. So mm. our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, our intellectual well-being, our sense of purpose, um, who we are on the inside, being more integrated and at peace are the things that come to mind. Being well um, in the purest sense of the word. So I'm not necessarily thinking of a product 
or a brand, hmm. but a, a state of being in how we function in the midst of our everyday lives. I and love I it. Think, I think that's why I'm not an expert. I think that's why I've learned and am learning um, as I go. Well, maybe that's part of it, Joe. Like, would you say that it's almost, on, you're honoring the process, you're honoring your wellness journey. Yeah, I think so, because I, I think as leaders, a lot of times we, even though we don't believe we're invincible, we believe we're invincible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you watch somebody else burn out and think, oh, that's such a shame. They must be weak in some way. We don't say that. <laughs> we get them a snack or a coupon or something, but we think that somewhere, so somewhere along the line, they're weak. I think for me, I felt that wellness was a luxury mm. and it was a privilege afforded to those who could afford it. Yeah. Um, and I had to unlearn a lot of that thinking and recognize that as much as I'd like to feel I was or should be invincible, that I, that me, like everybody else, is human. Yeah. Now, that's powerful for me that, that it's easy to avoid because it came across as a luxury. Why do, you think, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's difficult for people to prioritize wellness in general? I think there are multiple reasons. I think the stories of our own lives, you know, if you've grown up in a family where your parents are working two or three jobs mm -hmm. to put food on the table, to get you educated, wellness is um, somebody else's phrase. You know, mm. I grew up, I'm huh. from an immigrant family and mm -hmm. my the elders in my family were working nights. They were nurses. Most of them were nurses or working night shifts. Mm. We didn't do family vacations because that wasn't what you did. You went back to your family of origin, um, which isn't always, yeah. a, it's good, but it's not always a vacation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not necessarily restful. So that wasn't, that wasn't part of what you were thinking about. You were, you were investing in your future. And when you're investing in your future, whether it's the future of your family or the future of your business, that does not become the priority. You think you'll do that later. You think that yeah. you'll do that after you've accomplished something, when, when you've reached said point, when you've got somewhere, then you can rest, then you can be well. Um, yeah. That's Awkward. great. So then, yeah, well, for our listeners, is most people look at rest as something that you earn. Like, I got to mm. work hard and be successful to, to earn it versus like, how would you flip that? Like, it's not something you earn, it's what? I think it's the fuel to our fire. I think yeah. it's, I think we retreat to advance. Yep. I think when we rest, we are better thinkers, better creatives, better leaders. Our relationships are certainly healthier. So rest is our starting point. And it's it, completely counterintuitive in the Western that's, world. That's fantastic. You know, it's, I, I had a mentor of mine say, Jason, if you don't take 30 days of vacation off in the next calendar year, I'm not going to be your mentor anymore. So good. And he said, and I think this would resonate with what you just said. He said, Jason, you have no idea how diminished your leadership is. Like you're hurting yourself by not taking a break. And I feel like part of your message is you got to learn these skills so that you can bring a more full and well self to your leadership. Absolutely. I think we are, sh I, I think your mentor puts it perfectly um, accurately. I think we'd be shocked but in the moment, we don't feel it. In the moment, we feel we just have to get it done. We feel like when we're in that driven place and in that moment of I'm just so close to finishing or I'm close enough to finishing, we don't think that taking a walk, having five minutes hmm. off, having a break hmm. will actually recharge us. We think it will knock us off our game. Yeah. And actually, the opposite tends to be true. Yeah. By the way, that's a great, that's a great contrast, even my anecdote about 30 calendar days in a year. I love your examples you just gave, like take a walk, you know, like get outside for five. It doesn't have to be a, a trip to Bermuda. You know, it can be a stroll. Yeah. 
I think I think we need to recognize that in the scope of our lives and our families and our patterns, that when we think of the really big idea of wellness, like you say, the 30 days, and that's not that it's any less true. It's just that that seems way too big a concept. It's like, yep. I've not got 30 days to take. I don't yep. have time for that. But maybe we can start with five minutes. Maybe yep. we can start with one hour and yep. actually sitting down for our lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sitting down for lunch, <laughs> not having it en route to a meeting exiting from a meeting yes. and if we start breaking it down to small things then actually when we get that 30 days we might actually enjoy them rather than spend the first 25 of them hating ourselves and everybody around us oh that's so good are mm-hmm. there any best practices for you in terms of how you manage your day oriented around energy and wellness like do you i, I love what you said like are you take are you taking a lunch are there any other like practical tips for that for people throughout the day yeah, I think one of the things that's been helpful for me, and I, I in this stage of my life, I'm, I'm husband, two kids, and two of us are extroverts, two of us are introverts, <laughs> mm-hmm. which means that some of us recharge by noise and yeah. around people and others of us do not like said noise. <laughs> they, <laughs> they like to recharge um, differently. And yeah. so that has meant how we function in our family rhythms. We need to p- pay attention to. So some of the kind of practical tools are Firstly, working out how do you rest and recharge? Mm. Because what works for you may not work for the people that you do life with. Yeah. And therefore, how can you honor those that wiring one and in one another? I yeah. remember when when my kids were young, one pr- small thing that my husband and I did, he um when my kids were very, very small, I've got two kids who are 17 months apart. When they were very small, it's a lot of spit up and it's a lot of noise. And <laughs> and even this extrovert was maxed out. And my husband was coming back from work and I, and he's introverted. So he comes from this really extroverted job and just wants to be silent. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Take the children. Take them, (laughs) take them now. And we had this agreement where I said, it would be better for you to come back half an hour or 45 minutes later and rested. Yes. Go for a coffee, take a long drive, have that time and then come back ready for some kind of handover. And it was a little thing. But that 35 minutes made a massive difference to him to recharge and made a massive difference to me. Um, So I think for me, that, that was one thing. In the rhythm of my day, I'm a morning person. And so I, I like the mornings. I like waking up early before everybody else gets excited and has to get out of the house. Um, <laughs> so I take that time. I, I, we have a dog, which um, was not my choice, but <laughs> does, re- does require a walk. And that forces me to walk in the day. Yeah. And get some space. Um, I make sure because I like people and yet a lot of my workers in my office at home, I work out how often I'm going to check in with people through the day, the kind of conversations that recharge me. And then I have a rhythm in a quarter as well, like in in, in a space of a few months. Have I taken some time to do something fun. I think fun is something that we forget is an integral part of our wellness and our well-being. Mm. Have yeah. you enjoyed your life recently? Yeah. Have you you know and I don't just mean your vices that you crash into to escape. <laughs> I mean actually enjoyment. Like remember that thing called hobbies that we once had? Yeah. That our children have and that we pay for. Those things. <laughs> we we get to have them too. So those are just some of the things that I I try to work on in the rhythm of my life. So in, the, in that with our listeners and some, some just direct questions is to ask, do you have any hobbies? By the way, Joe, I love, I think there's a key thing here in your in what you're saying. You It seems like you've developed an awareness, like, like paying attention to your own energy levels or paying attention to your husband's energy levels. And I love that story of say, hey, go away. Uh, you need to go away for us, not just for you, because you'll come back better. 
I think there's, there's a degree of leadership as leaders are listening to this and say, hey, how aware are you of your emotional state or your mindset at any given moment? And how aware are you of your team's mindset and emotional exactly. state? And are you equipping them to pay attention to that? Are you equipping them to know what they need uh, in certain moments in order to make the meeting go better or to make the, you know, the, the, to make the initiative work? Uh, that sometimes we just put our heads down and we don't stop to think about how we're actually doing. Absolutely. And I think we can get we can get drawn into the whole wellness thing thinking it's a purely individualized sport or activity. And actually, it's a communal one. It is. You need to know who the introverts are on your team because they may need to recharge in a different way as they come to that meeting and as they go from that meeting. It has massive impact on if we know how our community, um, what what. Um, prepares them to thrive what recharges them what drains them and there we are looking at their performance and thinking they're a nightmare when actually they're just maxed out yeah yeah they just need a break well and the yeah. and, and even with that I, I, and that's why i so appreciate your broader definition of wellness is like well-being and to say if you're not tending to the well-being you're not going to be an effective leader it just can't be yeah. done that's what i love about your talk by the way i recommend everyone go listen to is well, thank you to really slow it down and like, what are the indicators? Like, what are the early indicators of this stuff? Because it is kind of like carbon monoxide. I think no one ever mm. says, I'm going to burn out today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, and again, from your personal story, I would love to hear a little bit more about uh, what are the early warning signs of people when they are not managing themselves well, when they are not uh, valuing the conversation of wellness in their own personal lives or in their teams. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things and that are hard to pay attention to, but vital. And one is the the story behind your own story that brings you to that point of not paying attention. Mm. You know, you could tell people take a day off and they hear you and they nod, but they're actually being driven by a story that goes way deeper. And yeah. so the story that went way deeper for me was that of my family background. We're an immigrant family growing up in England, Nigerian family growing up in England in the 80s, mm. where there was a lot of racial tension and a lot of um, a lot of accusations about what immigrants were. Were mm-hmm. they stealing our jobs? Were they lazy? Were they sexually promiscuous? Mm-hmm. And they were broad brushstrokes that you'd see in the narratives of the tabloid media and sometimes in conversations with people, things like that. You get followed around stores. Just uncomfortable normalities. And, and I remember my aunt sitting me down, and I referred to this um, before, my aunt sitting me down and saying, Joe, if you want to make it in this world, you're going to have to be at least twice as good as everybody else. Mm. You have two marks against you. You're a woman and you're black. Mm. And therefore, it's not enough to be good at things. It's not enough to be great at things. You have to be exceptional. You have to be at least twice as good. And her view was that's what you needed to do to get a job. And that was all she was trying to prepare me for. I was a kid. Yeah. I was about seven years old. She was reflecting on 20 years of living in a country that she loved, but wasn't always welcoming. Yeah. And so she was trying to kind of say, hey, this is just how it is. You know, mm. I, I want to prepare you realistically for the challenges. And this is one way you can navigate it. Get yourself educated to the hilt and yeah. just be so good at school that you're too good to ignore. But what that meant was, I mean, twice as good as everybody else is a level of perfection that is a moving target the whole Mm -hmm. time. Yes. When do you know that when you've achieved it and will you ever feel safe? Because all you have to happen is another racist comment again in society. Mm. And then you're wondering whether you're secure. Mm. Because all you need is one dehumanizing moment in your life. Um, one sexist comment or someone not recognizing the contribution you made to a meeting, yeah. um, someone writing off your contribution. And then it's like, oh, 
got to keep on working, got to keep on trying, got to keep on pushing. And then your body just becomes the vehicle that you force to get you there. Yeah. And then almost as if you become a punching bag and all those uh, side comments or off comments or whatever become really painful and like like death. And I'm, I guess I'm putting words in your mouth, but like death of a thousand paper cuts, like it just becomes... Absolutely. This, so then would you say then as as we're wrestling with this question, some of the, some of the early warning signs uh, you're not going to see unless you start reflecting on your narrative. Like you have to, is that what you're saying? I think so. I think that's really important because we are living out our responses and our reactions and the wounds of our story all the time. Yeah. All the time in, in how we relate to one another, how we approach challenges and opportunities. We are responding. We we would love to be a blank canvas with a new job, hmm. but actually we're not. No, you can't. So that's it, good. It's important for us to reflect on our narrative and to see how that has changed us. And yes, it may be our childhood, but it may be your last working environment. It may be your last relationship uh, that has been definitive in your life in some way. And if you can identify how those things have shaped your story or how disappointments have shaped your story, it might give some indicators to why you won't stop working and why you why rest has not become an option or well-being or wellness has not been an option for you. So then are there any tools, Joe, that you'd recommend where a person, because I mean, this, and I, for people who have a hard time being vulnerable, for people who have a hard time, like they, they will easily dismiss this as like navel gazing or narcissistic yes. or whatever. What, what are some, or do you even in your company have tools that people can use to, to begin to slow down and listen and have some guidance in them discovering what their narrative is? I mean, I, t- I tend to ask questions. I tend to ask people to ask themselves questions. And so the question I like to ask and often ask is, who were you before anyone told you uh, who you were supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Or I ask, who were you before life happened to you? And I mm. think sometimes getting people to reflect on their story, and it doesn't have to be like you're holding their hand, squeezing it, hugging them. I just want to know <laughs> you. I just want to yeah. know what ha- what happened. Tell me yeah. tell me your like the seven greatest challenges in your life and the seven greatest triumphs. Tell me the things that you're proud of. Tell me the things that you wouldn't do that again. <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. It can it doesn't have to it may be intense, but it doesn't always have to feel intense. Some of the ways I've seen this come out in my teams have actually been in the most relaxed and casual conversations. They've often been over meals. They've often mm. been um, at a party, <laughs> at a Christmas party or something like that, when people are relaxed enough to tell you who they are. Yeah. And so it feels a bit like investigative journalism on one level, but it's <laughs> worth the journey. It, it really is. But questions have a way at getting at our unconscious competence, the, the things mm-hmm. that we've long buried. And so I love and I think questions give people permission to tell the story on their terms. And yeah. I think that's important. I like that. That reminds me, there's a, a guy who's really involved with Strengths Finder named Ricky Momoto, who uh, taught me a thing called talent spelunking. And he would Ooh. say, what are like, what are the most, what were the most fulfilling and successful moments you had in your life before the age of 12. Wow. And so you go back and you think about those early glimpses of natural success before, I think to your point, before people told you who to be or who you were, just kind of you're just doing your thing. And like, as you said in your talk, you know, like the the Wonder Woman, the the feeling strong when you were a kid and how reflecting back on that is really beautiful. I love, I love that. I was, as soon as you said that about before 12, I was like, oh, I can think of things. Yeah, go for it. Like what what's, what was the thing? I think before I was 12 that I did a solo at a school. I, I sing or I used to sing a lot when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. so there was a solo that I was really proud of. There's a solo that I got to do. I mean, I got bullied mercilessly for about a year afterwards, but I was good. <laughs> um, and I had a voice that was a bit more adult than my age. So it was a little bit odd. 
um, my <laughs> voice. I mean, for the adults, they're, yeah, it was for the for the adults in the room. They're like, oh, we love her voice. For the kids, they're like, what's happened? <laughs> and I didn't. I mean, I just liked singing. You know, I just liked singing. But I think that would be one of mine. I used to love sports as well. I still love sport, but I loved yeah. sports. So there'd be those achievements or things that I'd written, um, yeah. stories that I'd written. Those would have been the, the oh, I, and. When I read, when I was seven, see, you've got me talking now. Jason. This is great. You, you created this. <laughs> when I joined my local library and I read the entire Paddington Bear series, yeah. that, my friend, was a ch- that was an accomplishment. I was so proud. Yeah. So proud and, of myself. And by the way, just for our listeners, like that's not an exercise in her just talking about herself. Like she's modeling for us how this conversation works. You know, so I just asked a really simple question and then she's going through and listening. And if we wanted to, we could pull out the connections between you loving to learn, loving to read, self-expression through vocals or like performing versus mm-hmm. competition. Like we could we could trust a part, okay, what about those things really resonated with Joe? And then she's gonna see those things show up in adolescence as an adult. Oh, absolutely. Right. All that's all there. And thanks, by the way, for for being vulnerable and just talking about your childhood that way so that we can see this is like do this with your teams. She's absolutely. showing us how to do it. Exactly. And I and I think it's just a, an accessible way to find out more about your people. Yes. To find out more about the people that matter to you and matter to your company. That's wonderful. Okay, so now, so that that's a fantastic first step in terms of just getting to know your people and hearing these narratives and seeing how these could sometimes be double-edged swords even. You know, like the desire to be twice as good can also cut in another way to where if you're not twice as good, you feel like a failure. Talk to me a little bit more about like uh, uh, physical symptoms. Like what are what are some of the, because one of your, part of your talk was like listening to your body and what are some of the physical symptoms? What are the early signs that a person um, needs to be paying attention to uh, that might, if they don't pay attention, it might lead them in a direction they don't want to go with their life or their leadership. Yeah, I would ask you to reflect on whether you are regularly waking up more tired than you were when you went to sleep. That's great. Um, I would ask if you've become like incessantly irritable, you are irritate like it's like you just are fed up of people all the time you have zero patience for th- and your responses are disproportionate yeah. i like to look at the extremes where are you disproportionately kind of you're slightly hysterical in your in your laughter yep. <laughs> or you're slight or you are like relentlessly exacting about a mistake somebody made yeah. and you know it was your child and they just threw the apple in the wrong bin you know they yeah. didn't they, they they didn't put it in the composting they put it in the recycling and you suddenly you know if you're having an overreaction to a child being a child <laughs> or um or, or if you're driving and your road rage is taking you to places that aren't really healthy for you you yeah. probably want to start thinking about those things that's really good so then let's say a person identifies and by the way as we're talking i'm feeling a little self-conscious because it's like you know i <laughs> I got into a little thing with uh, uh, someone on my team yesterday and, and, and there is a little bit of this, where is this coming from? Like, where is yeah. this disproportionate response coming from? So again, just not to make it about me for our listeners, uh, where are the disproportionate responses? And actually, it's interesting, Joe, that you mentioned um, mania as a part of that. So it's not just, where are you angry? But like, where like where is the, is it like an overcompensating happiness? Like where, where is like forced happiness? Like, how would you define that? I think so. I think sometimes when you're running away from pain, you run really hard into into certain things, and um, and maybe towards your excesses, your vices. Hmm. I I think in times of grief, because sometimes our burnout can be intricately connected to um, moments of loss or eras of loss. I think you will find the extremes in your. Well, there have been times when I have laughed and then I have not been sure whether if I stopped laughing, whether I'd break down into tears at that moment. Yes. 
you know, when you've laughed so hard and and I don't know whether it's just the release of the emotion, whether it's the I need to keep laughing or then I can't breathe very well. Those sorts of moments. And, and I think they are worth us taking a minute to say, OK, what's actually going on here? This joke was funny, but I'm not that hilarious, actually. <laughs> and why? Why is this taking you to this place? Um, why, and sometimes it's because you're holding on so tightly to being OK and being fine. And yeah, really, it's fine. I'm great. I'm great. I'm absolutely fantastic that, that you realize that, you know, you're, you're so not actually. Yeah. And I, I, even as you're saying that, it's almost as, as I'm reflecting on myself. Sometimes when people ask how you're doing. If you feel like you have to sell the answer. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. It's like you have to present your Instagram life. Yes. And with all the filters and, and there's one narrative in your head and then what you say to people and you say I'm fine. And in your head is like, I've not slept for six years now. <laughs> or, you know, um, and how, how's the family? I hate my husband. What you said? Oh, he's doing great. He's so yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how's that's... your boss? I want to kill them in my sl- in their sleep. What you say is, <laughs> well, they're having a tough time and it's busy at work right now. And it's that it's that yes. sort of thing that's happening in our heads all the time that uh, that worth us paying attention to. Well, it sounds like authenticity, like a person's ability to be authentic. And by that, I mean like ruthlessly, non-flatteringly honest with mm. someone is really important to this wellness journey, like awareness and then actually outing yourself in a non-flattering way. I like how you mentioned therapy. I always really admire, um, and she mentioned this in her talk. So if, if you're listening to this, you're like, where did she talk about therapy? Uh, she talked In her <laughs> talk, she talked about therapy. And I always really admire leaders who are on large stages who talk about therapy because I think it has such a stigma. Maybe can you share a little bit more about your journey with therapy and or your encouragement for people? Because I make up that diving into some of this stuff, okay, if someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I, I do, I am selling. I am, I do feel dissatisfied in my mm. work. I am maniacally laughing or getting irritated. There's road, road rage, there's, there's a simmering. There are maybe addictions and things like that that I'm using to medicate the pain uh, or I'm like, you know, I'm kind of favoring, mm. I have a sprained ankle, I'm favoring it a little bit. So now I'm feeling hip pain, like, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, I make up that therapy can be a space for people to untangle that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, why people might be hesitant to do that and what it has been for you? Yeah, I've known a number of people find the idea of therapy as a surrender in mm. a wrong sense, as though it's a reflection of your weakness, of your falling apart. Um, where's your stoicism gone? You know, where is, hmm. I'm, a, I'm a Brit, where is your stiff upper lip? Um, yeah. Why did you not keep calm and carry on? All of those sorts <laughs> of, all of those sorts of things. And, yeah. pe- and it feels somehow, like you said, a stigma, shameful. But I, I've had pe- I have had periods of therapy throughout my life. And I've all, and I think part of why I advocate it is one, I'm always better on the other side. Mm. Um, <laughs> life has happened to us all, you know, yes. and some some of us have ex- encountered devastating tragedy. Some of us have lost everything, regained everything, lost everything again. Some of us have had families or stories or situations that have had fundamental impact on our lives. And I think the first time I realised I needed to do this was when I thought um, was as a as an adult. And I'm married and I have kids. And and this point was, I think it was, I'd had postpartum depression after Mm. my second child. And I Mm -hmm. thought, I have the life that I had longed for. Mm. I have, we had worked hard. I had a, I was married to, I am married to a a man that I love. I have Mm. these children that I adore, but I have these memories and these wounds and these stories that could devour every single thing I have worked for. Mm. I have a chemical imbalance that um, I cannot correct. Mm. No matter, I can't be twice as good at this. 
Yeah. You know, I, yes. I can't, I can't do this. Yep. And so why would I jeopardize all of that to look good to people who aren't watching? Yeah. Or to look good to people who are watching. And if they judge me on that, shouldn't be my friends anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the one of the pieces and um, one of the reasons and one of the moments where I thought I need to do this for myself and, and for my life, for my kids, for my family and for the mother I want to be, for the leader I want to be. I've come this far. I've overcome this much. I'm not throwing it away now yeah. on on a vice, um, yeah. on a on pride. And I and I often encourage people by saying, you know, I would rather have therapy for a year or two than need it for 20 because if you need it all that time i think sometimes we we default into the idea of as though ther- the need for therapy or need for help of some kind um is a kind of static state like oh i'll go back to that later but you're actually living and breathing and acting out all of those things that you need help with all the time yes and if you are not dealing with those things, it's not that like they're sitting in a cupboard saying, oh, you know, we'll just we'll just hide out here until you've got time for therapy in your life. No, those um, trust issues, those dysfunctional patterns, those resentments, those vulnerabilities, those wounds. Yes, let's call them what they are. Those wounds yeah. are defining us as leaders. They yeah. are shaping our leadership. Those thought patterns that, if we're honest, we're scared of are shaping us even now. So um, why not? do something about that <laughs> yeah. because well, otherwise there is diminishing returns otherwise. Yeah. And I like, in a lot of ways I hear the heart behind that and I hear like the, what other option did I have? But I also hear like the intense pragmatism about that. Like yeah. it, I do it cause it works. Yeah. Like, if you go to the gym, if you do it right, it'll work. Yeah. Therapy is like going to the gym for your emotional well being, And, uh, and cause I think sometimes people avoid therapy because they don't know if it's going to help. Is it really going to do anything? There's kind of a resignation yeah, that's to so the, true emotional state and what i like about your story is it's like no it actually it can help it really can find yourself a good therapist and it can really create a safe space for you to to ask some of these fantastic questions that you're inviting us to ask i think it's i found a number of leaders as well have have resisted therapy because they're like if this doesn't work then what yeah you know it's that fear of i'm kind of keeping that at bay because if I can work this out, then when the crisis really gets bad, then maybe I'll go there. Rather yes. than thinking that having having a period of therapy, short or long, is someone coming alongside and giving you tools for the journey. Yeah, that's brilliant. I really like that a lot. All right, so uh, a couple more questions. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I want to pivot just for a second. So in I love this, this contrast that you set up that leaders believe that they're invincible and yet they also simultaneously struggle with like some uh, imposter syndrome, you know? Yes. Right. And it's an interesting contrast where you simultaneously believe that you can do anything and you simultaneously believe that you are a faker and that you don't belong there. Yeah. I think they're all part of that same violently swinging pendulum, you know, between the two extremes, because I think if you feel like you're an imposter and you want to prove yourself, then you do have to force invincibility because um, imposter syndrome is such an extreme in itself. If for you to walk in the room or walk into your meeting and show up feeling like you're a fake waiting to be exposed, you're and it's not the truth about you, you're likely mm. to overcompensate to, to, mm. to prove yourself and other people wrong, even though nobody's thinking it. So it, it's a weird dynamic. And I think uh, I was reading, I've been reading a lot about imposter syndrome and mm. recognizing it has many faces. You know, it comes out in people in different ways. There's this great book um, by Valerie, Day, no, Valerie Young, her name is, and mm-hmm. it's called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. 
And she describes five ways imposter syndrome manifests itself. She talks about the perfectionist, which is often the obvious one. You know, nine out of 10 is not good enough <laughs> ever. Um, the expert is the other one that if... If you're not knowledgeable about all the things, say you want to start a podcast, if you don't know everything else about starting a podcast, you're not going to begin because you're not an expert yet mm. and you feel you have to be. And that was one of those that I think data often shows is quite a gendered response um, mm. in terms of applying for jobs, applying for opportunities. If mm -hmm. you feel like you're an imposter um, and that you're not up to it or not... Um, the expert, you may not even apply. Mm. Then um, there was one called the natural genius, which I found fascinating in that all of us are naturally good at some things at certain areas. And then when we find an area where we have to learn, we're not used to learning. And so we don't mm. feel like we're good enough. We feel like a fake. Yeah. Um, there was the soloist, the kind of audience. I, I've all got to do it. I've got to do it all. I'm me, myself and I, I've got to achieve it. And then there's a superhero where you've got to be excellent in all the things. And I, and I think every one of those faces of imposter syndrome begs you to prove yourself by being invincible yeah. or you have to get out of that game. That's so good. And by the way, just for listeners, I would love, like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to have my team listen to this and it'd be great to have a meeting where we talk through, okay, which one of those are we? And I'm, yeah. I'm imagining it's probably malleable, like you kind of drift or pivot into different ones, depending what what a flavor is most convenient for you in that moment. But I think it's important to to look. I remember when I first read it, I thought, "Oh, can I be all of them, please?" <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like <laughs> I feel I am, but I kind of recognize that there's a top two um, that kind of get under my skin mm. that are, that are, that kind of tap into my own story. I think the natural genius one. There were certain things I was really good at, mm. and and then learning felt weird. Uh, uh, that was one for me. I think the perfectionist, I took a long time to recognize because it didn't feel like being being perfect. It felt like doing what was necessary to get a job. Yeah. Now, one last question. Do you, is there any, this is a question I actually, this is a question I got asked um, working on a TEDx talk. And they were, one of the questions they asked me was, what is something that you, you've always wanted to say about something that no one has ever, has ever let you and I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to pose that to you. Like for our listeners, what is something you'd like to say about wellness that you've always wanted to say, uh, but maybe no one's ever asked or no one's ever, uh, what's, is there any like thing that you've always wanted to say that you haven't been able to say? Here's where I'm kind of conflicted, Jason, because I've never asked for permission to say these things. So <laughs> I probably have said them anyway. Even better. Um, but I think I would probably underline, you have one body, you have mm. one body and one life and your leadership is living in that body. Make the most of it. Yeah. Look after it. It's you're worth it. It's worth it, and it's okay. You can dismiss. I you know you can dismiss it as oh you know I don't need to talk like that and all that all of those things, but it's true. It's true because it's true because it's true. You have one body and your leadership lives in it. Look after your body. I love that, and I hope that that drills deep into the hearts of our listeners. Joe, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your insight, for your wisdom, for your passion, for the way that you. Uh, continue in the journey and struggle. I can't wait to hear what you continue to learn about wellness as you continue to serve leaders powerfully. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you so much. So fun to be with you today. Our thanks to Joe and Jason for that really helpful conversation. And again, I love that quote, you have one body, one life, and your leadership is living in that. What stuck out to me from that conversation is that our wounds shape our leadership. 
let's do something about it. And I just really appreciate Joe being vulnerable about the things that she had to unlearn as a leader and encouraging us to do the same. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance. Thank you.